I see things every day that you can't believe. Women and babies fight for life here. You can't believe that in, in labour the women have lost a lot of blood, they're exhausted and they still can walk for hours to get here. The women here are heroes. been crazy the last two hours. When I arrived this morning there was already seven women in labour. We bought another three in the car and as we were leaving we saw another woman being brought on the stretcher into the hospital. There's something very powerful for me about being a midwife and if you can look a woman in the eyes, if you can touch a woman and hold a woman, she knows that you care. And it doesn't matter to me whether she's an African woman or an, an English woman, even if we can't communicate. I'm a woman and you're a woman and I'm here for you. I'm going to be by your side and I'll be here massaging your back until your baby is born, just like I would any woman in the world. Every day it's life and death here. Every day we receive emergencies. Without MSF, Doctors Without Borders, the 665 women who had a caesarean section here, free of charge, that could have been 665 husbands that we had to go and tell their wife had died during childbirth. We just at the crowning stage, so the head is uh, very, very, very nearly delivered. Every mother who walks in the door, her life is important, and the life of her baby is important. It makes the stress, the exhaustion, the frustration, it makes all of that worth it, because... For her, you've made a difference, and we can't save the lives of all of the women in the Congo, we can't save all of the babies, but we'll give her 100%. Okay, so the baby's head's delivered. I've worked with MSF for three years, and every day I feel very proud to put my MSF t-shirt on because I really believe in what the organisation stands for. saying fee. So my name is Sam Jennings, uh, I'm 36 and I'm originally from the UK. I did my midwifery training in Southampton in the UK um, and worked as a midwife for two or three years after that. Um, within, within a population in a city that was a very low sort of economic demographic, lots of asylum seekers and drug abusers, prostitutes, quite a, quite a challenging caseload and did that happily for three years and moved internationally and uh, travelled and worked around the world for several years um, and then was fortunate enough to get uh, the opportunity to be a midwife with Doctors Without Borders. So did three amazing missions with them. Uh, and then the last six years of my life, I have dedicated to being a mother. I'm a mummy of four, uh, ages six, four, two, and five months. And, uh, and I'm really just finding a lot of peace and happiness in, in being a mother right now. Um, and we just moved from city life to the mountains where we're having a homestead existence, where we want to homeschool and grow vegetables and raise animals and just enjoy nature and the outdoors. Um, Sam, do you want to tell me a bit about your journey into becoming a midwife? I, uh, I, nobody in my family was medical at all, but from being a very young girl, I'd say even age 10, 11, 
I just sort of honed into this idea of birth and being a midwife. So it was my dream to be a midwife. But I knew sort of early on, sort of 14, 15, that it, it's becoming more and more competitive in the UK to get spots at universities to be a midwife. So I did a lot of voluntary work um, leading up to my application at age 18 to be a midwife because I was just so dedicated and passionate and driven to know that this was what I wanted to do. So I got uh, I got a place in Southampton to do a four-year midwifery program and uh, began that in the year of 2000, yeah, 99, I guess. So you actually, so yeah. you actually knew right out of high school that you wanted to become a midwife? Absolutely. So I, you know, did in England, it's the GCSEs and A-levels and went straight to university to do a four-year midwifery degree. So I absolutely, with conviction, knew that I wanted to be a midwife and I was meant to be a midwife. Right. So how did how did your journey kind of lead you to um, Doctors Without Borders? So um, I guess even during my midwifery training, I was aware of the organization and the work they did. And I think part of being wanting to be a midwife was to be involved in birth internationally. Um, but Doctors Without Borders ask for at least four years of post-qualification experience and like quite a, want quite a variation in that experience because the, the programs that you get placed in with doctors and borders are very high intensity very high stress um so they want you to have a fair bit of experience before you uh, apply for that so i actually spent uh, the year before i applied to doctors without borders in australia and most of that was spent in uh, the aboriginal areas so i was sort of really out out back between Darwin and um, Alice Springs in a very small population of entirely Aboriginal women. So this kind of gave me the remote experience um, that often you're practicing without a doctor and you'd need to call a doctor in from some distance in the case of an emergency. So it was uh, that that really kind of helped with my application, I guess. Um, and then I applied. And uh, of course, they say for first mission midwives, they can, you can expect quite a long wait. But because um, every project needs an experienced midwife, the areas that, you know, the needs that you're going through are very great. The diversity, the complexities are very, very big. Um, but actually within two or three weeks of first applying, they give me a, they gave me a call and said, we've got your first mission ready and are you good to go? So within just a few weeks, I was on a plane to Uganda for my first mission. Well, so when... You first graduated um, as a midwife. Were you in the UK? Yeah, so I did a four-year midwifery program. So I'm not a nurse. I did the direct entry program in the UK. Um, and then immediately sort of post-qualification became what they call a caseloading midwife in the UK, which meant that I had a caseload of 40 pregnant women, which I would book at sort of 8 to 10 to 12 weeks of pregnancy. And I would then be on call for them 24-7 during the course of their pregnancy for when they gave birth. Um, so this provided really amazing continuity of care for these women. And as I said, I was providing care for this sort of high-need caseload. So there was a lot of language um, language issues. Um, yeah, lots of dietary issues, social economic issues, um, substance abuse issues. Um, so it was a really interesting caseload. And obviously women who would really value some high input. So we did all of their antenatal care at home. We facilitated home births or hospital births, wherever they felt most comfortable. Um, we used interpreters to overcome language barriers and just really integrated as part of this unique sort of community, which was on the outskirts of Southampton, which is where I qualified. 
So I did that for two years and being in my 20s and young things single to sort of be on call 24-7 was still still a challenge to accompany, you know, to, to live that way, but an incredible experience to follow women through the entire of their pregnancy, to be there for them during birth and then for the first six weeks. And uh, our program had such incredible success in, you know, reducing low birth rate babies, um, improving general health and nutrition for the whole family, reducing... Um, preterm uh, preterm deliveries um so just the whole sort of health um of the whole population of women and families that we were involved in just uh got to a very really really improved and actually the program was sort of used as a model throughout the uk at the time this is many years ago but it was a real privilege to be part of that network but yeah in the uk what is it that makes you so passionate about midwifery? Do you remember your your eighteen year old self and kind of what attracted you into it? Um, I think it was just following women on this journey of birth and pregnancy, which I'm still even now having probably delivered over a thousand babies and uh, you know ten years down the line plus. I'm still in complete awe of the process. So to me, it's magical, the whole biology, the whole science of it. But it's that emotional journey for a woman to grow, to grow a baby, to become a mother, to become a parent. And it just felt like such a privilege that I could share that journey with the, with women and husbands and families. And it was incredible. Like every, And I still, every birth that I'm present at, it, it just gives me goosebumps. And I just, I just love it. You know, the emotion for me at the birth is still is still really pronounced and, and I love it. Um, yeah, so I was just, I was just felt like I was meant to be a midwife. And, uh, and I remember my first birth is a student midwife at age 18. And it was just everything that I hoped and dreamed it would be. You know, I remember crying and just being totally overwhelmed and in awe of the process. And, and it's continued to be that way for me up until this point. Can so, you, can you take very, me? Very, very, yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you take me back to that um, to that first birth that you you witnessed? I just um, yeah, I just remember being obviously with my mentor midwife and, and the couple, and we were with them for many many hours, and it was this long journey. Obviously, the first time for me that I'd been with this woman, and and I remember I was booked on a bus to get go back home for the weekend, and the time was going on and on and on, but I was not going to leave that hospital until uh, until the baby was born, you know, to complete that journey. So I stayed and I stayed and I stayed and I think I even ended up missing my train back to, to London at the time. But it was just, you know, when you've worked so hard voluntarily leading up to the application process and then you've, you're present at that birth, it's just, and to see the interaction between the husband and the wife and the emotion they felt at that time, um, it was just magical. And obviously I was with her for many hours, so I felt that we connected, me and her, and that I was of some support and encouragement to her. And, um, and I just, knew that that I'd made all the right choices and that this was going to be the start of a very magical career for me. <laughs> so you didn't feel queasy at all when you saw all the all the, all the physiological stuff that comes with birth? No, and I probably was a little bit worried that I would because previously growing up for blood tests and things, I would feel a bit woozy. But I think in the moment, the, the atmosphere, the intensity, like all of that sort of cloud all of the the other stuff sort of clouds into the into significance when that moment is happening you just forget about all of that when you're consumed with with a blur what's some what's the atmosphere like and and what are some of the emotions that you're feeling um during those moments 
so you're feeling, you know, you get caught up in the excitement for them. Um, I've been at some magic. I mean, every birth is magical, but particularly magical births when, when for the couple, they've, it's been such a long, long, long awaited baby. Um, you know, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So the excitement that you're caught up between the couple, obviously, as a med- medical practitioner, you're always watching um, for for warning signs to make sure that everything is staying within those normal parameters. You're really, you know, trying to not get too caught up in the moment, but you're staying still very alert to all of the signs that everything is progressing normally and that everything is healthy. Um, but yeah, just this bonding, this connection with this woman that, you know, you're taking her through this journey, which is a life changing journey for her but also that moment when you give birth to your baby your first or second or fifth it's just this incredible moment she'll remember forever and this experience for her she will remember forever so you want to make it as as positive as you can for her obviously she's they're going through pain and the husband's often anxious because she's going through pain and he's struggling with how he can best support her but just really guiding the both of them on this journey um to to birth yeah do you and for, so you've supported a thousand, thousand births. Um, from looking back at those thousand births, like, is there, is there any formula to birth or patterns or like what what are the things that you've noticed or observed from attending so many? Obviously, there's the same birth is the same physiological process for for every woman that you you need to be uh, you know the dilation is the same for every woman the process of um, of pushing out a baby is is similar but the experience of how every woman perceives the pain and obviously the length the duration the intensity um, it, it's all so unique to every woman so uh, and I've been in many had the privilege of being with women from many different cultures so in many different countries across Africa I worked in New Zealand for a year where I worked with um Maori and Pacific Island women uh, then Australia, obviously in Sydney, and then with the Aboriginal women in India, and then yeah, so I just I've experienced birth in so many different places and locations and cultures and languages, and uh, obviously in 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 the UK when there's, it's easier language wise, you can kind of you're really integrated. But even without the ability to talk in in the same language as the people, which often when I was working with doctors about borders, there were so many tribal and culturally different languages. But it's just all those non-verbal cues, all of the ways that you can connect with a woman without even officially speaking the same language, just the touch, the eye contact, the reassurance, the love, the massaging. Um, So yeah, it's the same physical journey, but all the emotions that go around every single pregnancy, Obviously, from some babies who have been wanted and, and desired for many, many years to, to surrogacy, to, to IVF in, in Africa, often there was some very sad and traumatic and different, difficult circumstances around pregnancies. Um, if, the, if the girl was a very young mother or if the baby, the pregnancy was a, a consequence of sexual violence, which unfortunately was prolific, particularly in my last project in the Congo. So these babies were not always... Uh, not always wanted, not always desired. Um, often the, the actual health of the mother themselves was very compromised. So there was HIV and there was TB, um, malaria. So the women are already coming into labour and pregnancy and birth already very depleted physically. So um, 
and often they have very long, fam- very large families. So in, you know, in, in the African program, delivering an eighth baby or a tenth baby comes with a different set of uh, potential obstetric complications. But also, you know, when you're delivering a tenth baby, it's maybe not the same emotional reaction as when you delivered your first baby. And for many women, it's, you know, how is she going to cope with the 12th baby and, and, uh, and the insecurities of her context? So she's maybe living in a war zone or in a slum or, you know, very low financial situation. So how are they going to provide for this baby? How is this family going to survive? So it was, uh, yeah, it's been incredible to see all of the, the different, for the dynamics between family life where, you know, obviously in the UK and in the Western countries, it's the husband and the wife normally who live together, whereas in different India and Africa, the woman births surrounded by other women, surrounded by their family and friends. They often all live together in a very small space, so they uh, they get a different level of support during that process. So um, it's just been so unique. I mean, every single birth of that thousand is, is different in in many ways, the same physiological process from start to finish, but the emotion, the situation, the context, the duration, um, the people, the personalities. Um, obviously, I've grown as a as a person in in age and my travels and experience too. So maybe I've brought different things to it over the years. But yeah, just like what a journey that thousand of births has been from being 18 to my last birth in the Congo. Um, just before, well, actually while I was pregnant with my first son. So, it's, yeah. it's, it's almost like there are more than a, a thousand births, but there are a thousand stories that you've experienced. Yeah. Um, it's in, in Doctors Up Borders, you just, uh, every, every day is just, you never, ever quite know what is going to happen, what is going to walk through the door, what emergency you're going to be a part of. Um, so every single day is different, and that's part of the joy of midwifery too. Because you, every couple is different, every every woman is different, every birth is different. So you get a huge variety. But in doctors of that board, it's like moment to moment. You know, you'd be called to this emergency, or or the context around you, the situation. Obviously, you worked for a year in a conflict zone would would change by the minute. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, it's just a it's a, a big a big learning curve and just changing and growing and learning and loving and, and just being the best person that you can be. But yeah, there's been some incredible stories that kind of real cases of women or babies fighting for survival, you know, that against all odds, they, they, they make it, you know, when they arrive in such critical conditions or babies are born so prematurely or this woman has walked for three days across a frontline war zone to get to you and, and has made it. And women who have faced incredibly difficult decisions, like do they stay with their kids and be in a war zone or do they walk because they know they're in labour and there's potential complications, but do they walk for three days leaving their children at home? And I mean, yeah, like every every single birth is different, but there's I could tell a hundred stories that have really affected me and I still think about them and we actually have a lot of photos around our home of, of particular cases and families and births that I've been at. And so I'm reminded daily when I walk past of some of, some of those stories. What's, what's, some of the, what's one of the stories um, that stands out in your mind right now that, uh, that you'd like to share? Uh, so I remember this day where I didn't actually attend the birth, but I was in the birthing uh, room in, in the Congo. And a woman comes into the birthing room uh, with a basket and it was up in the rainforest. So it was always 
raining very hard. So she was wet and the basket was wet and the, bl- the blankets were wet. So she kind of walked in and looked a bit shell-shocked, looked a bit exhausted and tired. Goodness knows, I can't remember how long she'd taken to walk to the hospital. But So I just greeted her and, uh, and alongside some of the Congolese midwives, we talked through with her. And then she lifted the cover off this blanket, of this basket. And inside were three very tiny little babies. And, uh, and this woman had delivered triplets by herself in her little mud hut and had walked for hours to get to us because she knew they were small and that she needed to do that. So, you know, it just blows my mind that a woman could deliver three babies by herself. Because, yeah. you know, they just kept on coming. And, and then she would put them in a basket in the pouring rain and, and walk to us because she knew she needed to do that as a mum. And, uh, and, and it was amazing. And there they all were, these three little bright-eyed babies who were small, but they were all healthy. And obviously, they stayed with us for a few weeks. And actually, how we could support her, it was sort of minimum stuff. But making sure they were feeding and keeping them warm and the kangaroo method and observing them for infections and, and all of that. But, like, that's amazing to me, you know, that that, that happened. And, uh, and, yeah, and stories like that kind of, I want to happen every day, but... It was a real testimony to human strength and endurance, you know, every day. And, yeah, I feel very blessed that that was a special case because three babies at home by yourself. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What what was, do you remember, like, what your first assignment to going to Uganda was like um, as as a midwife? So it was a dream come true. And uh, I don't really want to bore you with too much backstory but when I got the phone call or the email to say you've got the job in Uganda I was actually living in Hawaii at the time so I was living on this paradise island I wasn't working I actually followed the man I loved to be there but we I was having this very surreal existence so magical beaches just I mean amazing (laughs) so within seven so within seven days I left a paradise of, uh, of Hawaii and um and got on a plane and went to uh, a camp for a thousand IDPs, so internally displaced people. Um, so in, within seven days, like the different polar opposites of humanity, you know, and here I was, but so excited and terrified at the same time because here I was, this like early 20-something white girl. And I remember driving up in the kind of four-by-four car. We have to drive for a few hours out to the bush and, uh, and going to the maternity. And there were these, you know, big strong black African uh, Ugandan midwives, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and thinking, you know, how, how, you know, they're looking to me and I'm here and I'm looking to them and, and, and how is that dynamic going to work? You know, they're looking at me like, oh, what's this girl got to, to help and teach us? You know, that, you know, she's come from, she's come from the UK and she's in her 20s. She's had no kids and she's white and she's, <laughs> you know, privileged and had a different total life to them. And I was terrified by them, you know, here they are. Um, but over that nine months, it was the most just incredible journey, just a learning and skills exchange between us, you know, that obviously I'd come from doing a lot more emergencies with different equipment, so sharing my knowledge and expertise and just helping them to organize themselves as a team and, uh, you know, helping them with sterilization and birth and some of the obstetric emergencies. And for them to teach me about, the, the issues that they would come across as African women and as midwives, you know, all of the HIV, supporting women with TB, malaria, things I'd never come across. So we worked together and I was, I lived inside the camp with them. So every emergency there was, every difficult case, we would do it together. And, 
And I think that's how we bonded because it wasn't a me, me and them thing. We were a team and we would work side by side, day in, day out. And when there was really critical cases, we would be there together, shoulder to shoulder as women, as midwives, trying to save this mother or this baby's life. And um, yeah, and we did have one maternal loss during that time, but we, we shouldered it together. You know, we were confident we did everything we could. Um, um, but I just remember doing and working on that case and we were all just looking at each other and supporting each other just purely by eye, con- eye contact. But that was an incredible thing for me, you know, just that journey from Hawaii to, to spending almost a year in, in a tiny camp in northern Uganda and, and just learning and growing as a person, as a human, as a woman, as a midwife and um, coming across things I'd never come across before. And, and I was hooked, totally, totally hooked. You know, and some people who work for Doctors Without Borders talk about it being a bit like a cult because you're sucked in and it's sometimes a bit tricky to escape only because you love it so much that you can't imagine ever not doing it, you know. Um, and you're exhausted because you're physically giving so much of yourself and you're being called in the night and you give 120%. So you have to take a few months out in between missions. But I was already like, this is me, totally, totally into it sign me up for the next project wow and you you met your partner through um one of one of the missions that you went on I did actually this very first mission oh right um, oh wow yeah yeah so he was so you arrived in the car to the camp and he was the sort of the in charge so he was the um the project coordinator and he'd been doing it for many years he'd been in so many different contexts he was kind of this older sort of rugged been there seen that done that (laughs) guy who just you know, knew what he was doing, so experienced. And there was this me, this 20-something, who was very inexperienced, um, but on ready to save the world. And we kind of clashed a few times because of my just wanting to save the lives of everybody and him thinking more about the security focus of the situation that we were in, you know. So if a woman needed an emergency cesarean at midnight, we were not able to travel three hours in a car to the hospital because it was very insecure. So we were putting our staff and ourselves at danger by traveling at night. But for me, I'm viewing a woman who needed a cesarean to live and he was viewing it in terms of team security. So we battled a little, you know, because I had had a lot to learn. And uh, so we met and we didn't, you know, become a couple until actually months after we both left the project but we met in that very first project with Doctors Without Borders. Yeah. That's, that's, so what should make a movie out of that? That's very romantic. <laughs> 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 that's it folks. Join us for part two of Sam's journey as an MSF midwife. Tune in to the next episode.